So if you've got a client who's like, I know I want to make my event more creative, but I have no idea even where to start. What do you do? We have a conversation about what is the purpose of the event? What are you trying to accomplish? Sometimes it's just a book launch, right? Or sometimes it's, they may do this event once a year and they're bringing people into their funnel, right? So we creatively, we may not have a lot to go on. So then if we don't have a lot to go on, then we just look at existing branding. We always want these consistent through lines. So when the first contact with your um, attendee is probably some email marketing, it might have some color branding to it, right? You may have a style guide. So we try mm -hmm. to carry that through. So then when, you know, we, we don't get into email marketing part, but when they land and they're looking at this either live or on Crowdcast, Zoom, whatever platform, it looks familiar. How are entrepreneurs like us daring bravely to build a stage, ditch the sweatpants and step up to the mic? How do we create our own transformative events? so we can get our message out into the world in a bigger way that's not only profitable, but it's actually something we can be proud of. That's the question. And the answers are inside this podcast. My name is Sarah Pfeiffer. Welcome to Green Room Central. Today, I brought into Green Room Central Studios, Adam Coleman. He's the founder and creative director of Proxy AV, a creative agency that produces amazing live event experiences. They bring art to life in the live environment. Hey, Adam, welcome to Green Room Central Studios. <laughs> How you doing, Sarah? Getting ready for an event here and uh, wanted to duck into the office and uh, say hello to my friend. You know, we go way back. Yay. <laughs> I'm so glad that we could spend some time together and talk about your superpower with events, which is is the the tie between creativity and really, really caring about the outcome. And so how yes. about we start there? Why do you care so much? Uh, <laughs> because be, you do. Because it is the, uh, as Stephen Pressfield refers to it, the the war of art, right? Not the, not the of war but the war of art mm -hmm. which is a great book too if anybody's looking for um good recommendations um yeah the war, the war of, of art by art. stephen pressfield have you read it or yeah have you uh no, joe polish recommended that book it, no. years ago and and it's one of the few it's the only book i've, I've read more than twice uh the great books but really? why do i care so much because this is my craft uh and this is my art you know, so uh, my artwork mm -hmm. requires a lot of help from other people, right? And I always take it very seriously. Yeah. So caring, I've, I've, I've realized that nothing happens of significance until you care first, right? You care about the mm -hmm. outcome. It, it's, it's the glue that ties all the stuff together, you know, staying a couple hours past the production when everybody's gone, it brings you into the ballroom two hours before a call time. Um, and uh, I don't like that, that those elevated cortisol anxiety levels. So if you start with caring, those, those levels go down during production, so. Yeah, I, your clients are lucky to have you because you do care so much. And I, <laughs> I see that every time we work together. And I, I think your, yeah, your clients are so Thank lucky you. to have you. I wanna talk about how you bring art into the live environment because I think that's what makes you special as a creative agency that that businesses hire to 
put on the, the technical part of events. So talk to us about... I know you love to go to art museums every time Absolutely. you're in a new city. And talk to me about how you think about art and being at a live Well, conference. art in general is like one of the, the, the few things that makes, you know, life exciting, right, to me anyway. You know, obviously raising kids is, it keeps life really exciting. Uh, but, you know, most of my kids now are adults. And art is just that it just has an allure to it and it's one of the things that, that keeps me excited and what we try to do what basically we go to art museums to steal ideas to be quite blunt about it right i think picasso said that you know all art is theft right it, it's all just um trying to put yourself in an environment that's creative and for the last event well, we have an event coming up in austin texas next month and I went to a museum to uh, just sat down in their cafeteria to get some ideas. And Steve, oh, no, I'm sorry, Alexander McQueen. I keep saying Steve McQueen, but Alexander McQueen was, is doing a, um, a uh, he has his clothes or his artwork on display. Um, so art is like that last frontier, right? Technology always makes the tools easier to use. But art is the thing that never gets any easier to 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 kind of tackle, easier to manage, and it's a breath of fresh air when you can bring art into a live event and and just see people um, react to it. Now, suppose you know the goal is to maybe boost engagement if that's important to the client, but but for me it, it's just um, the last frontier. You know, everything else is kind of mundane the quotes the travel plans you know profit and loss statements if running a business you can kind of drown yourself in that you know and, and the art helps pick you up and, and helps you remember why you got involved to begin with if that makes any sense i think one thing people think about when they think about bringing art into a live conference is the set design and of course that's one element of it but I think also there's an art and a science to the lighting and to the sound. And talk to me about just an example of what you think about and bring to the table. Yeah, that, that's a areas. great question too. Um, when we started the company back in 2016, I noticed that most production companies, the creative was an afterthought. Right, so they'd have a giant mm -hmm. ninety-foot LED wall, and they thought, "Ah, look, we we got our LED wall is thirty feet longer than yours. We won the game." But what they put on it was kind of not very thought out. So our value proposition, yeah, our kind of wedge into this um, bloody red ocean, <laughs> if you will, you read Blue Ocean Strategies, right? We're in a highly competitive market, so our wedge um, yep. in that market was uh, creativity. And not only that, we don't do things just to be creative. We always try to find a point uh, that supports the message. For instance, we, um, we um, have a client who's a vocal coach. And for his LED wall, we decided to shape it as a almost like an S right and that s represents a sine wave now 
when you're watching the program, do you know it's a sine wave? No, you don't. But the reason why we look for these is it informs uh, further creative decisions, right? So all these little things that we did yeah. to kind of um, subconsciously and consciously support what this person is doing. We had another client that, um, and a lot of times they don't give you a lot of things to really latch hold on. But when you have a creative staff, and we only have creatives uh, full-time. We've got two full-time creative people and an artist in residence. So you can see everything in our DNA is geared towards creativity, right? Even when you come into our shop, there are no manuals, but you'll see a lot of art books. So we had a client that went on a one-year sabbatical. And it was the first time that we produced a show for this client. So what we did was we made the stage round, right? I'm not a huge fan of a round stage unless I'm doing something theatrical or maybe like a mm -hmm. TED-style thing. But we made it round for this client for two reasons. The circle is emblematic of a return or a journey or a, a revolution, right? the physical revolution, not the social mm -hmm. revolution. So the circular stage represented this person's return to center stage. And what I liked about it, his he had three major points. It was connection, community, and creativity. So when we had the round stage, we brought mm -hmm. the, the audience in a semicircle around the stage in order to foster connection. Um, so those are some of the things that we really dig deep. Now, did anybody know why we use the circular stage? No, the client did when when we told them in the in the in the um, the design brief. But you will be surprised when you lead the conversations like that. They they really understand like wow we've got a different production we have a, we've got we're not using a production company we're using a creative agency. So there's so many little things that inform yeah. our decisions. And when you have creative people, you have to give them um, something, right? I think John Stewart said there's nothing more frightening than a blank uh, page with no rules. Artists need artists needs rules in order to be really creative. So I try to, my job as a creative director is to kind of set these boundaries and then let these young creative guys go to work guys and gals go to work you know it's, it's a beautiful thing when it all comes together yeah. <laughs> when it comes together you know so if you've got a client who's like i i know i want to make my event more creative but i have no idea even where to start what do you do to start we have a conversation about what is the purpose of the event what are you trying to accomplish things of of, of that nature sometimes it's just a book launch right or sometimes it's um they may do this event once a year and they're bringing people into their funnel, right? So we creatively, we may not have a lot to go on. So then if we don't have a lot to go on, like they're not coming back from when you're sabbatical or they're not a vocal coach, then we just look at existing existing branding, right? We always want um, yeah. these consistent through lines. So when the first contact with your um, attendee is probably some email marketing it might have some color branding to it, right? You may have a style guide. So we try mm -hmm. to carry that through so then when, you know, we, we don't get into email marketing part, but when they land and they're looking at this either live or on Crowdcast, Zoom, whatever platform, it looks familiar, yeah, right? And we're trying to give that creative familiarity and we don't want um, our productions to look like everyone else. For instance, I am surprised that people are still yeah. doing the grid view on the LED wall and keeping it there. 
So what we do is we use it like paprika, right? We, we, we put it there when it makes sense, but then we also add movement to it, right? We use Unreal Engine and things like that to, um, we use Unreal Engine in order to animate those people in the gallery so they don't just look static. Um, I'm, I'm glad that other people are still, just you guys keep, continue to put the grid view up there and proxy will come and we will, um, you know, we'll kind of break the mold there, you know? <laughs> and what, and what he's talking about is how, you know, zoom has a gallery view, right? Where you can see like 50 people at a time. Well, it is popular or it became popular during the pandemic to put it behind the presenter on a big led wall during f throughout the entire event. But that gets kind of, exhausting and boring for the eye and so you've you've just decided i'm just not going to do what everyone else does and we'll just be a little bit more creative about it Thank yeah because when much. you think about it when you go to an event and see an audience behind the speaker right so when it was first done it was brilliant it was visually yeah. distinctive and it broke the pattern that everybody else was doing but once you break a pattern then you establish a pattern right. and now we're looking for that pattern interrupt you know uh, that's so good. Yeah. Because your job is to keep the audience engaged, right? And so I love that you're constantly looking for pattern interrupts in the way that you showcase the, the content. And on that note, how are you using... How are you using production, the lights, the stage, the the scenic the sound to facilitate the learning experience, because I know you've got some <laughs> tricks up your sleeve and, and your clients may not even know that you're doing it. What, what are some things you think about? I think about the wow factor, right? Um, so if it's a new client, mm -hmm. we will look at what they've already done, you know, and it's a lot of it is just subtle things. And so you can use light to draw attention to uh, certain areas on stage, um, sometimes we have clients at like a very high key environment, so the influence of some of the stage lights just doesn't, you know, work work out as well. But when we can get a dark environment and mm -hmm. we have, um, like, uh, we had a show and we had a lighting designer, you know, uh, it's always a good thing when productions can afford a lighting designer. And this presenter yeah. um, came to us and she wanted to do something different. It was a multi-speaker event. So we're like, hell yeah, we're, we're, you know what I'm saying? We're here for that. So we worked with her to create a dramatic uh, effect where she came in from the back of the room instead of coming in from stage. So then we had uh, the lights focus on her and follow the spotlight on her, thus narrowing you know, people's attention to just what she was saying. So that's one way you can do it. Uh, the other way is, is, is set design, but we try not to just do set design for set design, right? And you see this a lot with wafer walls, right? I don't know if you're familiar with wafer walls where they have the repeating. I'm so yeah, not a and, fan. And, and, and it's a design <laughs> shortcut. So I know why people do it, but you can almost tell that there's just a sales rep typing away at his computer and just saying, let's slap some wafer walls on there and let's go for it. Well, if you're going to use wafer walls, at least make them asymmetric, right? But but don't just put this repeating pattern, you know, break it up with a logo, do something. 
Um, for other production companies, I'm happy to have you guys continue to do that. You know what I'm saying? So, because you guys create the pattern that we then can easily break. <laughs> One of the things that we can do, we do also, Sarah, is we had a client that has a slogan, and it's it's three three words. So, we you we know from our study of design that human beings are drawn to things that are out of scale, right? So human beings mm, love, yes. if, if, if it's a giant building, then you shrink it to the size of a Lego. Or if it's something small like letters, we're used to seeing letters very small, we blow up the letters so they're like nine feet high, right? And what that, like a moth to a yep. flame, people are attracted to that thing that's out of scale. And they will take pictures yes. and boost engagement. You throw a hashtag on there and um, you've got something going. Even we've got a client that... Um, want stage letters on the stage, which is which has been done before. But I'm like, okay, how can we not do it the same way? Everybody does stage letters that are the same color. They're all just white foam letters. So I'm like, well let's make it dual tone. Like, you know, just something to to you know, to break that interrupt, right? It, it's it's already hard to get people's attention. So when they come to a performance, you can grab their attention by the level of lighting design, stage design. Um, but then you also want to tie it back yeah. to something that's on brand. We're always talking about on brand, you know. And you and I worked with a big uh, athletic yeah. wear company where we were, and it's interesting too because remember when we worked with that company, what we did were all light touches, right? I like very yeah. clean, minimalistic, light touch designs because when you when when I when we sh when we shoot yeah, video, you always have to consider that you have a foreground and a background, and you don't want your background being so busy that it competes with the foreground, right? And uh, so the thing that we did for this major athletic company, the design was just very subtle. You know, we weren't trying to prove to them that oh, you know, we're so we're so creative because. They have creative people. They've been doing it, you know, for 40 years. They, you know what I'm saying? You know, and you and I right. would just add a light touch. And um, and you know by the feedback that I think their term was we changed the game for them, you know? it was. I love the way you talk about branding and how it being – I always like to talk about how it's a string of continuity that goes throughout to everything within your event from, like, you touched on the email marketing to – what it looks like when they check in at registration to what the set looks like on stage. I really think it's so important and uh, to, to remember that we need to have, present a cohesive look so that guests, it, it just, it fuels their excitement. It fuels the fear of missing out on social media because then everything that people are looking at looks like it's part of that thing, that thing that, you're perhaps possibly yeah. missing out on. And I know you think about that. I know you think about, okay, how is this going to look on social media when we take cuts from the recordings and the client goes and puts them up afterwards? And I love that you <laughs> obsess over that. In fact, you even think about where, you know, talking about the foreground and the background, you even think about where the logo is on the background on the stage scenic so that it frames within the yes the talent right how do you tell me about how you think obsessively about um you know uh you know <laughs> a couple of uh, less sleep cycles than than you know that i need but but yeah so um, every everything now needs social proof and everything is on a video now right so um and and that's difficult because 
you have to play to the video audience, the people that are consuming it on this guy here, but then you also have to play it for the people that are in the event, right? So, um, and from a design standpoint, that's not very easy to do. We, you know, we, we had a show last time where I focused more on what the end video looked like because I knew that that video would be consumed by thousands to millions versus the end room being consumed yeah. by third, or I'm sorry, four to 500 people. And so what Sarah's talking about yeah. was we lowered the logo to make sure that it fit a couple of inches above the shoulder. What, what I was not happy with was how low the logo was in person client was happy but you know uh it's the thing that makes it into my um journal on how to fix and what it is is you almost have to design two designs right but then when you take two designs make them into one they have to gestalt to be a whole you know straight up design so there that's yeah. the, the the war of art you know that, that we're constantly um uh battling and another thing that i do is any production that we that we are a part of after the event, I look at as many social media posts of that event to see what it looks like from different angles and have changed the set to correct for better angles, meaning that people take a lot of selfies looking back this way. And sometimes the set looks good on the front end, but doesn't look good at the side, stage left or stage right. So we take that into consideration, but it's only after an exhaustive search of social media to kind of figure out, oh, okay, this is where we can approve better. Even down to like, if you overhang letters, instead of the letters being, you know, facing the audience, what you would want to do is tilt the letters down a little bit as they hang over the stage. So when people are taking a selfie, the letters show up like that. And then when you change the angle from flat to the, to this, that's a little bit of that, that, oh, okay, these letters are at an angle, you know, and that's, that might just catch their attention and, or make them want to take a selfie and actually get the letters in there correctly. So psychologically, there's a lot of things that we're trying to do to 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 impress people to <laughs> so you know but but I, it's we also keep what we call a swipe file and I'm I show I'm sure that your your audience is aware of that but yeah. I'm real big on the swipe file and basically for those who don't know what that is is you just keep a file of anything that you like you just keep it in a big giant file so that you can refer to it uh, another good um, recommendation is uh, still like an artist. That's a great book, and it basically gives artists permission to steal because all artists steal. And it's a three-book series, and you can read it in, in an afternoon. It's really, you know, it's a small book. And if you're in a creative space, it's a must. Steal like an artist. All right, now we've got two. K, I forget his last name, but it's Austin K. You talk about two things that you, you, you think about as you're designing each event and you talk about experience versus environment and tell me tell me what you how you see those as as two separate but also conjoined topics as you design a, a conference that's a great question one. because the environment can be the same but the experience can be different right so the experience is what you're aiming for but you get that experience by creating an environment does that does that make sense? So two people can can react yeah. differently to the same stimuli, or st I guess that's the way to make that word single stimulus stimuli. 
Um, I didn't. I'm not an English major <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Thank God for uh, spell check. But but yeah. So it, it it the environment is very important in order to influence what people take away from it. And one part you have control of, the other you don't. Right. So I'm always trying to get feedback on on how people were influenced by the environment. So I'll focus more on um, the experience. I'm sorry, the environment part of it. But we have a client whose number one concern is audience experience. And I met this person early on in my career. And I remember asking them, hey, do you want this size screen or this size format? Or do you want to do a three to one, 16 to nine? And Jenny said to me, we care more about the experience and we care about the particular details or specs, right? And that that stayed with me. Yep. And when clients give you those kind of nuggets, sometimes they don't realize how important that is for you to help them uh, get that environment. As far as the environment, um, one of the things that we love to do is to coach our clients on what we call the sacred space of the ballroom. And I know you're a fan of this too, Sarah, where you don't let your audience just kind of haphazardly walk into the ballroom at any old given time. Yes. What you do is you hold the doors. And what that does is two things, right? We've all been young and been to a nightclub and we see that line. Well, when, when you have a live event and you you hold the doors, you're forcing people to do the very thing that they get the most value out of events, which is to meet other people, right? The second is content, mm-hmm. right? But most, a lot of people say we come for content, but it's the people that you meet at a, events that are really, um, where people get a lot of value from. So when you when you when you hold people at the doors, you naturally build up an excitement, right? And anticipation. People are smelling good. They're looking good. They've got their logos, their brands on. You know, they've got, uh, excuse me, there's joking going around. So you're forcing these interactions that would not happen if everybody was lined up facing in the same direction in theater style seating, right? Or classroom, but whatever. So it's very important that, that you build that anticipation and then a couple, maybe let's, depending on how large the crowd is, but if you've got like two or 3,000 people, you're going to want to open that door about a half hour, 45 minutes early. So then you make a grand opening. Obviously, VIPs are let in first. That's another part of that that, that FOMO. Um, and then we need VIP people, right? Because this is a very expensive art uh, that we're involved in. So the VIPs help with that. And the VIPs get the, um, the priority seating. And when you open the doors in this grand fashion and you have your uh, event staff greeting people and you've got the music just one decibel louder than it should be, right? Then then you've got that anticipation. Yes. People know that something's about to go down, right? And obviously music selection is very important. Obviously it's high energy. Even that, even the music is thought about um, a lot, a lot more than people realize. So you open them in, I call it like the sacred space. So people come in and the anticipation is there and we have to tell people, you know, stop running because they're just running in excitement. When somebody else sees that person, well, what are they running for? And and it it's that is a part of creating the environment, right? And then when it's over, you let a couple one or two songs play, but then you usher the people out, letting them know that when you're here, this this is a teaching environment. This is a moment. It's sacred. 
But when we're done, we'll give you time to chat, but then we force everybody out of the ballroom, lock the ballroom, and then another force interaction, right? So that's one of many ways that we uh, try to control the environment to influence people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, you're, you're using all these little bits of the environment to create the experience. It's there. It's there's so many of these like micro moments that you've thought through at nauseum that all play together to create this the experience that the client is is going for. Yeah, <laughs> when it all yeah when when it all works together and then um, you know normally it's after day day on day two day one is always like okay is is the airplane gonna get you know, lift and fly. But but once day one is done, it, it kind of, you know, the anxiety gets back to normal. It doesn't go away. It gets back to normal. I love that you talked about the level of the music and we're on the exact same page about the decibel level. I love the music to be just slightly louder yeah. than is comfortable because it just is a signal to the body like at the core that there is something that's about to happen that I should be getting yeah. excited for. And I, there, there's something that's going to require my attention and it's, it's such a, an important tool and I can't underscore enough that, that clients don't pay enough attention to music selection and volume and placement of where mute songs should go yeah. as they should. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost always like this afterthought because you figure that the most important piece of the environment is, is what the stage yeah. looks like. But there's just so many other things that go into it. And you just rattled off like a half dozen <laughs> um, Music, music being one of the ones that I, you know, that I'm latching onto here, but that it's, it's, it's such a critical piece of, I mean, have you ever walked into a dinner party and they didn't have music playing and it, like, you felt this sense of awkwardness or it was the wrong music and it just was jarring and it didn't jive with what was supposed to be happening. And I, I think, uh, I think that's. I always talk about how your event is the live embodiment Absolutely. of your brand, and I like to compare it to walking into a mall and going into a store, and perhaps like it's a clothing store, and the aesthetic and the music and the smell—it's all been thought yes. about, right? I'm glad you said smell too, because we just uh, for the show in Austin, uh, we we have an infuser. Um, and, you know, for the uh, foyer where there is uh, the store where we sell swag. But when you think about the, yeah. the, you hit on it, you know, the humans, music is the, is the most effective way to encode a feeling or a, a, a lesson, right? When we learned our ABCs, it was through rhythm, right? not through rote memory. So the content that comes from stage is not going to land like music will. Now, obviously, they can't sing the content to you, 
but music and smell are, are the, the deepest parts of ways to encode a feeling in a human being. And then what you say to him, right? Mm. And that's only after what Maya Angelou teaches is how I made you feel. So first is music, sound, and how I made you feel. And only then will you remember what I told you. So as Sarah mentioned, the, the music is to get them in a state of excitement. And when one person sees another person's excited, you know, and the music can't be too loud. Right? There's, 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 a, there's levels to it. But let, let's be clear. You don't want to just be like, ah, I, yeah. I went up to 11 with it. You know what I'm saying? You want to go to 10.3. Um, and then, uh, and then with, 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 with smell, we, we just started to, to, to dip our toe into that, but that's just in a very confined area. I'm not going to try to, you know, influence 2000 people. Cause somebody's going to have a, oh, ah, I got an allergy to, to anything that smells like, you know, like the hotel, the, right. the one hotel, but, but for the store, because of what psych psychology teaches us, I was able to convince the client and, and very easily to get an infuser for that space. And then also, um, you know, and I'm not going to run data to see, oh, did, did the sales go up or down? That That's that's out of my <laughs> concern. But we, we, we are now experimenting with, with scent. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what's your feeling on live plants and floral either on the stage or in the pre-function area floral it's like the 90s are calling and they want their fica tree back right we don't do floral on the stage unless we're in miami <laughs> and it's a living wall and then so in the event in um for the event in in austin texas uh we were able to get a uh, a living wall um approved because of the brand, if you if the, the brand is called Growth, right? So when I hear Growth, I instantly thought, oh, let's get a um, a eight foot by eight foot wall, uh, a living wall. And they were like, well, do you want real plants or fake plants? You already know what the answer was, right? They've got to be real, right? I've never seen anybody do a floral wall with the logo in the wall, you know, spelling out the logo. And the client liked it so much, he said, order two of them, and then you design one and have the floral company design the other one. And we got lucky and we found a, a place in Austin that did it, you know, they're about seven, $8,000 per wall, you know, for, for the three or four days. So, yeah. but, but if you're gonna do it, then do it, you know, reclaimed wood with floral, maybe spelled out, but don't just put a tree or a plant on the stage and if you're in an interview let's say we're doing a sit down interview I always like orchids because they don't need mm. all this other stuff to go along with it and it's elegant and simple and I, I love the orchid but that's that's just me being biased to be quite honest but but uh, no 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 trees on stage unless unless it makes sense because of what the brand is about. If it's the Arborist Society, then you should probably figure out. But don't just put a yeah. tree. Be, do something creative, right? You know, put half of a tree yeah. and then and then CNC the 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 logo into the tree. Don't just put a tree just because it's the Arborist Society. You know. What's your What's your favorite moment at events? that you produce? Uh, there's two moments, right? The first moment is showing up with a plan that's as detailed mm. as possible. And when the truck is loaded and we're done. 
right? And, and I, I I say that because one is is you know super important, and the other one is like I very I don't have a lot of fun throughout the production, right? Because I'm constant. We can work. We yeah. can work on that. <laughs> but I'm constantly <laughs> scanning and trying to figure out what next. I feel like if I'm relaxing, I'm missing something. And there's some things that I do, mm. like um, the most dangerous moment for a crew is about 45 to 30 minutes before a show starts on the first day. Because what happens is you should be all done, right? So what the crew does is they relax and they start talking about how many points LeBron scored, you know, what happened on on, on Snowfall or Breaking Bad. Yes. So when I see that, I yes. instantly break up the pattern by saying, okay, what are we missing? Are we all straight? Do we test the clicker? I am obsessive about as many details, right? So if you take care of the smaller details, I've trained my guys to take care of the smaller details. So when you train people to take care of the smaller details, the bigger details have a, a likelihood that they will go um, met, right? But if, if people aren't thinking about what could happen or what's about to happen, they're gonna miss what's going to happen. So that's why I don't have much fun because I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm not thinking about what's going on now. So my favorite moment is coming with a solid plan, getting there three hours before the rigors, listening to classical music and laying my plans out and just just know that we're about to change this empty. Yes. And remember, it was in Orlando, we did it in Orlando too. You know, this this is an empty canvas and we are blessed to be able to, to paint a picture on it and, and away we go and then, you know, Four days later, when the van is packed, then it's like, cool, let's go have some tacos and let's talk. And those are my two favorite book-ended moments. Oh. What are you reading right now? I am reading uh, two books. One is The 50th Law with uh, Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent, and um, Robert Greene. You know, he's the 48 Laws of Power guy. And the 50th law is uh, fearlessness. If you know 50 Cent's story, uh, that became the 50th law. It's, it's, a, it's a book that they wrote together. And uh, the 50th law is fearlessness. And then T. Harv Ecker, Millionaire Mindset, that my dear friend mm. Sarah recommended. Yes. And it was, it was very apropos <laughs> right on time. So those are the two books that I'm reading. And oftentimes I'll read two books at the same time to get that collision of ideas. And remember, as creatives, we try to take ideas is from two different domains and bring them in together where they may not, you know, you're always looking for influences from different domains to bring them into another domain. Mihai mm -hmm. sent Mihai talked about that in, in, in the, the great book, um, Flow, which is another great book. Yes. Don't get me started on books, too, because I, you know. <laughs> another show, <laughs> another day. Adam, it's been so fun to have you here on the podcast today. I want to know, um, where can Lynchpin Nation find you? If we've got somebody who wants to host a conference and they know that they need an A-team creative agency and production company, where should they Our go? Our Instagram page. We have a website, proxyav.com, but Instagram is where we post things on a, you know, three or four times a week. So yeah. it's proxy AV at, you know, on Instagram, proxy AV or reach out to Sarah, <laughs> right? So, so Sarah and I work uh, together as um, on an ad hoc basis. And um, yeah, so our Instagram is at proxy AV or um, proxy AV.com. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. It's been awesome. A Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the green room central podcast. 
If you loved this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Instagram. And be sure to tag at Sarah Pfeiffer and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear or who you'd like to hear from in the future. That'll help me know what to create for you. Also, if scaling events in your business sounds like something you want to tackle this year and you need a coach, let's connect to see if one-on-one coaching is for you. Just go to greenroomcentral.com. You and I can work together one-on-one throughout the course of the year and dive deep into the inner workings of your events and business. You'll receive mentorship, personalized feedback, and customized guidance to define your goals and achieve your next level of success. Go to greenroomcentral.com right now to apply. I appreciate your commitment to leveling up and learning the mindset and strategy of live events. Keep going. Keep learning. If you want more, head over to greenroomcentral.com for show notes and all the links from today's episode.